the impact um, it, for me, it was significantly uh, regarding work. I mean, I was I wasn't not able to work for um, the first well, other than like Zoom personal training, which was and personal training is a pretty small part of what like my work. Um, so I was doing maybe like two to three things over Zoom a week and then nothing else. Uh, that was probably until I think June. And then June, I was able to start doing a little bit of work at the hospital, but even that was so different than what I was would normally do. Um, so how, the same how, idea, but how is that? It? How was it different? Oh, it was just like the restrictions because being in the hospital in terms of what we are allowed to do. And I mean, we weren't allowed to access the, the fitness uh, room that we use. We had to, we were only able to go outside and it was on, always only one-on-one. And so it just um, made things challenging. And I mean, it's been, it was challenging um, just, you know, cause everything, uh, you know, it, it became not a very high priority. Let's say my, uh, my work contract stuff. So, um, communication was very challenging, um, trying to figure out, okay, well, what do we need to do in order to be able to get things back going again? Um, but, and then, you know, uh, as, July kind of rolled around and I had been, uh, you know, looking on like Indeed and all those sorts of things, not that it's an advertisement, um, but just the various things and this keeping an eye out. And um, I, a job came up in, well, a couple of jobs came up in, in Kamloops and actually in Penticton as well. And so I threw out a few applications and, um, so are you traveling I, right now, sort of back and forth, or are you pretty situated? Or? No, full-time in Kamloops now. Okay. Yeah, I've been in Kamloops full-time since the start of November, or like basically the start of November. Okay. And yeah, was back and forth a um, couple of times, a couple of days a week in Kamloops, and then three days a week in Penticton for work-wise work, which wasn't a lot, um, but more just getting things figured out there and uh, finding a place here. So, yeah, so that's a whole new thing, too. <laughs> okay. Getting used to and new position and new role. And uh, what's your new uh, environment like for you at home and uh, and the community? Oh, well, I mean, Kamloops, I'm, I'm not familiar with in terms of, you know, having lived here, but very familiar with the town. I've been coming here for a number of years, playing soccer pretty much every year since 2000. They have a big tournament here, so mm -hmm. always come have family here. My brother's here now, or has been for about, I think, four or five years. So, um, so it wasn't a very hard, more now. It wasn't a very hard choice. No, no. And especially, you know, the role is definitely going to be have challenges for me. Um, just cause it's, it's has, it's new stuff for me, um, from a coordinator side, 
as opposed to a hands-on training, hands-on that kind of stuff. Okay. It's both, but the coordinating stuff is definitely. Is it both because you're short-staffed? Uh, no, it's all. It, it's always both. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and, uh, of course the reason why everyone would be listening to my podcast is let's talk some kettlebells. Um, yeah, no, I just wanted to catch up with you on, on how your training situation is like. And, um, I, I thought that specifically for this episode, getting a good idea, especially right now, the dynamic between your work schedule and your training schedule and how you're making that work if at all because again like i said we haven't really caught up much about this sort of stuff and um i generally these days stay away from facebook a fair bit and i know that you guys are are pretty active on your on your okanagan facebook group but i don't necessarily recall you posting a whole lot as compared to maybe years past no that i mean honestly i kind of follow the same way nowadays i'm spending as little as time as possible on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I, I go on, you know, I'll post some stuff, but seems like more often than not, it's like Percy pictures or whatever. And, <laughs> um, you know, everyone I, loves the cat photos. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And especially if he sneaks into a, a training video or something. Right. Um, but no, I mean, personally, the whole, like when, when the pandemic hit, it was this weird, um, it's too much nothing for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, my life had been for the past 10 years in these contract roles that I had, they were so set and I had this pretty nicely set out schedule that, um, I always knew where I could, okay, this is where I'm going to train. This is where I'm going to train. Um, and then it's the, you know, and then all of a sudden I've got a ton of time on my hands and, but it was just finding that time when I was going to do the training. And, um, of course, you know, lots of anxiety and stress around being out of work and when the heck am I going to go back to work and Mm. how long is this thing going to go and why aren't people getting back to me and, um, in terms of contract stuff. And so there was a ton of stress there. I'm not, I won't, and and anxiety that I felt. Um, how do you normally, uh, what would you say your stress level or anxiety level is normally like, um, before the pandemic and, and how are you managing that now? Oh, well, I mean, before I would be, Hey, you know, there'd be stress is relatively low. Um, anxiety is relatively low just because, I had a pretty much a set routine and, and it really hadn't changed much for 10 years um, going on, you know, going into the 11th year. And especially, you know, there had been a lot of changes in the years previous and things had got back to that, you know, settled, more uh, normalized in all life, uh, not just work life and training. Um, so I was kind of settling back into a bit of a groove and, um, was mentally saying, okay, let's make the, the changes to deal with, you know, some past injury issues and let's get back into the, the proverbial swing of things. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, it was just like, 
took the rug right out because not working. And it wasn't, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I was dealing with great levels of financial stress. I, you know, I, I'm a bit of a, a pack rat in some ways, so I don't, uh, I don't tend to spend a lot. I don't tend. So that way I, I had set myself up reasonably well to be able to, um, you know, as needed, do some saving stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, I didn't get into too much stress that way. So I'm fortunate, um, lots of supports from family, of course. And, you know, and the one contract did continue to pay, but it was sort of a blessing and a curse because it was, they paid me enough so that I couldn't access the CERB. So, um, Oh, really? Was, yeah. So, so I, was, I, what was the limit? Was it, it was about a thousand dollars the cutoff? Yeah. Yeah. So I was getting paid, you know, for like eight hours a week. Um, and that was, but because, you know, in, um, that meant that <laughs> working, I working, much. working one day a week. Yeah. <laughs> Don't qualify. Yeah. That's too exactly. much. So, yeah. So, you know, and so there was, you know, but I wouldn't say that that was the bulk of my stress. It was just the, what the heck, where is this going? What are we doing? And then I am sure like a lot of people settled in for the long haul and just said, all right, well, and oh, wow, there's four hours of watching TV, you know, streaming something. And there's it's pretty conservative, it's actually. Like, Holy man. Well, you know, that was in one <laughs> shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, I, luckily I was meeting, I would walk to meet Sarah at her work and walk her to work and walk her home. <laughs> so that, those were a few things to get out of the house. And, uh, but it did take me a while to find a bit of a groove. Um, honestly, I'm fortunate with my current role, uh, like the new position. Um, you know, I work at a, I work in an, in an office, but in an office within a big community fitness facility um, or rec facility. And so there's a nice indoor track. There's, I've got some kettlebells that I've brought in. And so I just generally do a bit of training on lunch and then I'll do a bit of training at home because I've got a decent setup for the basement as long as I don't put myself under the wrong floorboard or something. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what, uh, um, well, so. Was there much confusion for you guys trying to implement any new protocols or figure out where you stood in the pecking order in terms of who had to close when they had to close, who could open when they were supposed to open, and whose job was it to, I mean, how much of a, of a role did you have to take in designing slash implementing proper protocols to actually get you guys or get the facility, the new facility that you're working at, um, you know, COVID safe, so to speak? Well, um, I honestly, I haven't been particularly involved at all yet um, at the new position because of with my starting kind of end of September, they had already implemented most of their protocols to get things going. Um, they had, there was a period where they were, I'm pretty sure, entirely closed. Um, yeah, because everybody was Probably, closed yes, for a while. About, there, right? about yeah. March, I think. Yeah, late, that's right. Mid-March. Yeah. yeah. And so um, this, the new facility, um, you know, once they got things going. So that was before I arrived. So I will be uh, 
you know, I will be heavily involved in setting up some of the programming that connects with the local health authority. Um, so it'll be some programming there. So that's going to be, uh, they have, there is some stuff in place, but it'll be modifying some policies and procedures and emergency protocols and, um, you know, what kind of class limitations, just especially given the population that these programs do, um, do involve. So, but, you know, back in, in Penticton before I left, um, that was, you know, I had written up, uh, like a, a reopening or restarting proposals. And, mm -hmm. but again, I, I, w I wish I could, I, I personally, I wish I had more feedback because I could actually have used that coming into this new position. But honestly, it was, it was like, it was a one-way street. It was sending out proposals, getting nothing back information wise. Um, and that's honestly went on for five months. Um, like, a, yeah. So, to be it honest, was, I think bureaucratically, that's how a lot of things work. Is you're required, oh, yeah. you're required to write some sort of proposal to uh, to out to basically do your due diligence and okay, we're gonna make sure that everything runs smoothly. But then no one reviews it. <laughs> it well, just gathers dust, open. and no one ever reads it. The only thing we were told is you can't open. Right. So yeah, and and now again, I should you know, add to that, that this was not a private facility. Like a, this was not a private fitness facility. This was not out in the public. This was like, so in their defense, it is a, a, a fitness facility or a fitness room connected with in the inpatient psychiatry unit. Um, but the thing was, we were only wanting to have access for those inpatients. Mm -hmm. So it was very, it was frustrating because we knew we weren't able to support the individuals in ways that, you know, would have, you know, we, we would have been able to, um, I think safely. And I don't say that in the, you know, all oh, the protocols are too, you know, too strict or whatever. I say that in, I think it was just, they just decided that they put a foot down and said, no, we're not going to open in such a manner just because. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's okay. Life goes on. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, how do you feel about the whole narrative about whether or not fitness gyms, um, that sort of thing, is should be considered an essential service? <laughs> Which is a fairly binary, um, you know, sort of statement. You know, is it or is it not? Whereas I think that there's definitely circumstances and there's, there's lots of different um, facets in which we engage in physical activity that aren't restricted just to fitness gyms. So like there's this spectrum. So do you have any comment on that? Oh, I mean, you know, I, uh, I have my, my opinions on things and they don't necessarily <laughs> oh i get it you don't want to uh, rock the boat go with what everybody says um personally i i'm not i i am not honestly a a gym person um even as like a personal trainer as somebody who has worked for the you know for 12 13 years with individuals uh dealing with chronic disease um I personally, 
will encourage gyms. I will encourage getting outside. I encourage physical activity. Um, I don't necessarily, um, I don't get as stuck on the fitness and exercise. Um, that does not mean to say that I don't think that fitness and exercise is essential. I am willing to accept that, yes, it can be done safely, but there are a million and one ways to be physically active um, that don't necessarily include um, a group of people going into a small space. Um, now, so you would agree with me know. that being that physical activity is not quite the same thing, maybe culturally or perceptively, as exercise. Quote unquote. Oh yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, honestly, for those listening people, who maybe have yeah. never really thought of a difference. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there are, you know, there in in the books they they give definitions to you know physical activity, um, exercise, fitness, and then like skill and performance, and you know, I, I always think, you know, there are things that we can do. So the thing that frustrates me a little bit, and you know, I people, everybody's rightful to their own opinion and that is absolutely fine um, and people don't have to agree with me but I find it a little bit when people talk about wellness and then get it uh, conflated with actually like being at a gym that's not that that to me is not wellness wellness are the people that I see walking down the street with their partners along the river that's wellness. That's mental health. That's, you know, yes, I get that you can get those things as well from, but it's not this like exclusive thing where the only way that you can be, you know, get the mental health benefits of exercise is to do it in a gym. Yeah. It's, so it's, that's where it's very that's similar. Pretty. It's very similar and, um, and reductive as saying that, um, you know, you can find mental health and, uh, and improve your fitness through rowing, but you can't do it through cycling. Like drawing a line between the two when really they accomplish the same thing. They're just different modalities. Yeah. Just uh, like, I should, no, I, I should add that, you know, I mean, I, I have this wonderful ability to say I am currently in a role that I'm fortunate to not be as heavily impacted by these restrictions. Um, so it's, you can say, well, it's easy for me to say that it's not my gym being closed or whatever. And that is totally true. But I, I would also say that I have said this from March when I was out of work. Um, my opinion hasn't changed on the restrictions. Um, my opinion hasn't changed on physical activity and wellness just because the pandemic has, you know, put me out of work for six months. Um, I still have that same feeling. Um, but yes, I mean, I do currently now I am in a role that is, uh, does allow me to say, Oh, well, it doesn't impact me that much, but I still think physical activity being well are not uh, exclusive of going to a gym. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that there are tons of benefits and opportunities for people to branch out in their wellness um, that don't necessarily involve getting together in a big group and yeah. doing um, triple sets with uh, your buddies. 
Yeah. Um, I uh, obviously I have an obligation to where I work to to make sure that uh, revenue is coming in and we're paying the mm-hmm. bills and we're and our employees are getting paid. But I tell members all the time, ma- mainly the ones who I who I think just need sort of like a mental reframing and and for those specifically who. I really try to get into to the habit of separating my clients into the appropriate categories in terms of what what things I need to deliver to them that will help them the most. So, you know, trying not to treat every everyone as a nail if I'm a hammer sort of thing. But there mm-hmm. are certain people who have enough trouble just going to just just getting out of the house. Those mm-hmm. are not the people who you need to worry about the best program which of course is sort of like a fallacious idea anyway. Um, But oftentimes they'll ask you, you know, what should I be doing? What's the best program, this and that? And it's like, you just need to get out of the house. Like that's your biggest hurdle right now. So for those people, I tell all the time, you know, you don't have to come to the gym. It's just a convenient place for you to reach your goals. If there's another thing that you can do, then you got to explore those options. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know that is always a, what's the what's the exercise what should i do what's the and you just sort of want to say like well the best exercise is the one that you're going to do um and you know hopefully it's the one that you're going to enjoy because that's going to be the one that you're actually probably going to get the best combination of you know exercise you know conditioning maybe strength depending on what it is but as well that that enjoyment, that engagement side of things, you know, going to an ex- going to do exercise like and feel like every time you walk in, it's pulling teeth because you don't like what you're doing, is not really going to be, you know, a thing. Or you know, if if you think that the only way you can be fit is to run, and running causes you various levels of stress, maybe even pain but you keep doing it because that's the, you know, the modality that has been. Well, Charlie, you, you, you can't get whatever. to that runner's high unless you push through that pain. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the runner's high. <laughs> that, the, the elusive runner's high that you, I don't think I've You ever can't get that adrenaline going until you push through <laughs> that pain. Yeah. It's the necessary evil. Um, do yeah. you, would you say in your experience that the perception that exercise needs to be unpleasant is something that you encounter often? And maybe this yes. might be demographic specific. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yes, that is definitely, you know, there is part of that. Um, you know, there's the whole, uh, the, the, the beauty of suffering side of things, um, <laughs> There's that, the, that no, the nobility. Yeah, right. There's the glorification of, of you know, suffering and that, which obviously, like, who am I to sit here and say, you know, I'm not going to pass judgment on people who, you know, feel like they need to go into a gym and suffer because I mean, we suffer when we when we train, right? Um, but at the same time, uh, that's not. It's not. The, it's not the not, end goal. No, it certainly isn't. And I mean, um, I mean, as far as my, my general clientele, quote unquote, um, I do typically work with an older population, a generally an older um, population that is dealing with chronic disease. Um, so for me, you know, it tends to take a very different approach. Um, 
people do, I mean, even from that, like I will still hear, you know, 75 year olds who have COPD and, you know, have had heart attacks and say, well, no pain, no gain. Right. And it's just kind of like, no, I always, I always try to reframe it and, you know, I'll accept discomfort, you know, but we're not looking for pain. I don't want to hear about, you know, I don't want to hear about you telling me about how your knee was swollen up for three days after you, you know, did a, a jog on the treadmill. And even though I only asked you to walk and, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I get that. Obviously I think that there is, you know, there is a bit of that, that desire. And especially there's maybe some of that goes along with that, that uh, time constraint that a lot of people deal with. So it's like, well, I don't want to go do something for an hour, or maybe I don't have time to do something for an hour, but you know, if I can go in and just crush something for 15 minutes, um, the problem with that is I think where that oftentimes um, catches up with us or doesn't come out in the wash is, you know, you can go and do some hot, super high intensity thing for 10 or 15 minutes, but more often than not, depending on what you're doing, that super high intensity is maybe going to have some, some other effects on us, you know, because of the movements that are going to be involved. So, Hey, maybe, you know, if I go for, let's say if I go for an hour bike ride, you know, um, personally, I don't really feel the need other than maybe starting a little slower and then, you know, taking a few minutes at the end to, to cool down, quote unquote, I can just go and ride for an hour. Or even, you know, go run for an hour, give or take. And would you say that with the if you were to... Intensity, you've got to warm up. you got to cool down yeah. and do those recovery modalities or that stuff's really going to catch up with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were going to say, sir. Uh, yeah, no, I was just going to jump in there on the whole, um, just going out for, again, that physical activity, just going out for like a run or a bike. How much is it about the workout and how much is it about just getting outside for you? What, what really is the bigger part for me? I would say it's getting outside. Like if I'm going for a bike or run, uh, if I'm not in the gym, it's the re the whole purpose for me doing that is, is going outside, um, and enjoying my environment yeah. and getting that fresh air. Uh, sometimes it's also about trying to give certain areas of the body a break. Like if I'm going for a run, yeah. it's usually because my shoulder's acting up or something like that. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely, um, I definitely appreciate the going outside and being outside and, you know, quite often the physical exercise that I'm doing in that moment is just sort of the, it's like, it might be the, the the reason I'm going outside, but you know, it's just instead of me going out and laying out on a chair for an hour, it's me going out and going for a jog or going to do sprints at the soccer field across the way or going. So I, and you know, I will use those as opportunities. Yeah. So instead of sport, you know, more, more appropriately, it's instead of doing a, a 30 minute, you know, air bike ride in the basement, it's, I'm going to go outside and go ride for now or go ride or go run for now. Cause I want to be outside and be out in that. And in the back um, of your head, you know that you're going to hit a comparable sort of energy demand in like in, in terms of total area under the curve. But, um, that's kind of just like more in the back of the head. You're the fact that you're just getting out there and able to enjoy it. 
that mm-hmm. really is key for the um for getting that sort of duration out of that activity because you know hopping on the bike for half an hour and really pushing it that's just not something that's as much as we do voluntarily um p- uh, undergo suffering that's <laughs> there's you sometimes it's a bridge too far <laughs> I, I ain't doing half an hour on the uh, on the bike uh i'm not sure if i have in the past maybe 15 or 20 minutes i don't know if i've done half an hour not hard anyway but um the air bike you mean the air bike yeah yeah oh yeah i've done some hours oh gosh (laughs) i know you would mix it up you gotta find some (laughs) way to to push that engine any higher um but uh yeah and oftentimes um going outside for a bike or a run is a way to kill time too um i know that for I wouldn't say I struggle with it, but I know that um, uh, Rachel, for example, she has a background where she we both came from a background of being a little heavier. And so sometimes we, again, not struggle with food, but it's, um, hey, it's hard not to think about food when you're an athlete. That's the other thing. And so anything that I can do to bridge the gap between meals and not get that sort of eating out of boredom sort of thing happening. Mm-hmm. Then I'll definitely explore those options. Um, I did want to come back around to the whole perception of uh, unpleasantness when it comes to physical activity. And you specified that, um, or you brought up one um, point where you think that a lot of it has to do with sort of this cultural thing of um, that there's some some glorification or nobility in suffering. and And I guess maybe... In some instances, people are just looking for that really big face punch of a level of feedback that if they don't feel like they get that feedback, that really strong feedback from what they're doing physically, then they feel like they're not getting a lot of results that are sort of commensurate with that feedback. Um, now, the other thing that we talk about in in kinesiology or sports science is, um, or psychology even, is when people have that initial bad experience with something it's hard to shake off that bad experience. And I wanted to know what level of experience you have working with individuals where they have this mental barrier or aversion to something. Let's say maybe you guys use a treadmill to do cardiovascular testing or training in your facility that you work in, but maybe someone had a bad experience on a treadmill. And it doesn't matter if you ask them to walk or run. It doesn't matter what level of exertion that you ask them to do. They just always associate that piece of equipment with a bad experience. How do you, and that's just an example, but do you find yourself in those positions where you have to figure out how to get people to retrain their brain to be more accepting of those things? Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, so I, again, I can't, I haven't had a lot of that say with a young, the younger population that I have worked with. Um, there are a few people that have had some experiences and were very, uh, they were very quick to have very similar reactions. So, um, and this was a, like one individual I think of, it was like every time we would go and we would push, it didn't matter what we were doing. Um, every time we would go and we would push hard. Um, he was, this was a young guy, 14, I think, um, really active kid. Um, and we were doing the same things. I've been working with him for years. I think he was actually probably about 15 or 16 at this time. 
but I had been working with him since he was probably like 13. We had great, you know, really good rapport. We'd uh, made a lot of success. Like he'd gotten a lot stronger and, you know, basically just because I got him working on doing some different stuff. Um, was there a specific you know, his, um, reason or a clinical outcome that you guys were working towards? Honestly, not not particularly. He's just a fit kid, um, and he liked to ski, and so he wanted to. Uh, there there was a, a few things like he was. This was a young guy who um, was had some some neuroatypical. Um, aspects so it was a bit of um kind of like a stimulation thing it was to get him doing something new and to give him something to focus on um and you know he was he was a lot of fun to work with it was a lot of it was good for me to work with um an individual you know in such a way um i had done some in the past i i worked in the child development center so i have worked with um kids with, you know, uh, various levels of, uh, you know, maybe on that spectrum. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun and we had a lot of fun, but so this was a kid. So I think there was also that connection too, that he was very quick to having that very same stress response that he had. He'd had an injury after he came back, he was very quick to that stress response and it took us a while before he was able to get through that. And we had to make some major, major changes um, in terms of going, okay, well, we needed to, even though physically he could comfortably, comfortably handle the, the, the stress of the work output that we were doing on the intensity, um, it wasn't about physical capacity. It was, that neurological response and that stress response that he had to that feeling of internal stress. And he had that same reaction and it was, whether it was a heavier lift, whether it was some kind of a, a push hard on a bike, whether it was a, a push hard on the rower, it didn't matter what it was. Same kind of stress response. Um, Do you think it was probably so more to, tied to like his heart rate? It was definitely, I mean, it was, he was pretty much like stimulating that like vagus nerve and um, he was having these repeated bouts of hypotension. Um, and so it was just taking a lot of, so we had to retrain his dealing with that stress. Um, I have, you know, and dealing, same thing, I have a lot of you know, on the other end of the spectrum with a lot, with a lot of the older individuals is, you know, they feel something similar to the, what they felt when they had their heart attack. And so that's, you know, that's something that you needed, that we would need to work on. So for me, it was always there. It was okay. Well, we're going to exercise and we're going to tick off a bunch of boxes. So it was giving them the confidence to say, okay, well, all right, you're feeling, you're feeling a heaviness in your chest. All right, well, let's go through some, let's go through a checklist. Your heart rate's fine. Your heart rate's regular, you know, palpating it. Your blood pressure's fine. Like it's, you know, well below any, any typically dangerous threshold. You know, your, your color's good. Your, these things, right? So we would go through a bunch of check boxes 
And then they would say, okay. And I would say, well, let's just slow it down and build their confidence via, you know, that. So going, okay, well, I see when I slow down, that feeling went away. And then, so we would gradually build up and we would, you know, just increase that amount of time it took for that or the amount of intensity it took for that same kind of feeling to come back. But again, it was always tied in with, you know, I mean, that was one thing that I was doing. I was checking blood pressures and heart rates and oxygen saturations constantly with those individuals um, in my program um, for that purpose was just to be able to say, I get, you know, tick off these boxes. Hey, look at this. Everything looks pretty darn good. You know, um, we're not seeing anything clinically that says, now granted, I'm not doing like a running ECG or things like that. But, you know, as far as those uh, easily measurable ones, we were able to build confidence that way and um, get people feeling more confident. Um, I've had people who, you know, in, in their stress test, they, they barely lasted a minute and a half on the treadmill because they had the highest level of anxiety in the stress test, but also just walking on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Like I had, yeah, and, and I mean, within three sessions of cardiac rehab, I had these people, this, this person at this one in particular doing, you know, three or four times the intensity that they achieved in their stress test. But not because they were had, you know, go, I didn't take them to some world-class level. It's just that they had such a stress response being on a treadmill that, uh, you know, I had to build through that anxiety and that stress. Was this um, a, old, an, uh, was this an older subject? Uh, they, they, this person was in their fifties. Um, did they have like a fear of falls or anything like that? Or were they prone to falls? Anything of no. that sort? You could just see her. It was like this, this particular individual, you could see when she was on a treadmill, it was like, it was like somebody who was not very good at running code was running code. Cause just the way that her in like a robot, mm-hmm. you know, it was like somebody learning how to manually and like very, very stressed, like so much tension and, and you could just see it within her movements. And then, you know, like I say, three or four sessions in of building some comfort levels and practice. And she was like, yeah, just chugging along on the treadmill. And, that, and it was just getting through that stress and anxiety. And That's uh, one of the most important and unfortunately often overlooked aspects of pain that I think that people who aren't trained in it, though they work in the industry, it's just a really big oversight and that pain really starts to shut down your movement, your, your, your motor ability in terms of just execution, but, uh, but also the coordination itself, it really interferes with those signals. Um, and there's a few names in the strength and conditioning world who have been criticized particularly of really ignoring sort of the pain science aspect of there's sort of that um mindset of like again the not necessarily no pain no gain but like suck it up buttercup sort of thing but it's like if someone's that tense it doesn't matter what cue you give them it doesn't matter what piece of equipment you give them like you got a long road ahead of you to try and clean that up firstly by trying to get rid of the tension 
Because if you can't get rid of that, then their movement patterns aren't going to clean up because they're not really able to engage them. Yeah, especially, I mean, you know, given certain activities, of course, right? Like different exercises, you know, definitely show up. I mean, if you've got tension and you're doing some form of like dynamic-y type movement, you know, those things are never going to clean their way out just because that's not how they they work. They don't move. You know, you need that uh, that tension relaxation kind of pattern. Oh, yeah. You need that controlled but like chaos, right? And if you can't do that without letting go, then, um, you know, it's like watching people do swings and they're slow and they're lowering right. the kettlebell down, right? And you go, well, I mean, if you can't, if somebody has a, you know, I mean, that would be a thing that uh, that I see from people is, you know, let's say the kettlebell swing. Ding. See, I said kettlebell, so that now. Perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know. Like we we have that, a minimum quota here. Yeah. You know, so with, I mean, I think that that type of a movement is, is a pretty apt one in terms of, because A, a lot of people who are new don't get the idea of, you know, well, aren't, you're not supposed to, you know, you're never supposed to, you know, throw a weight. You're always supposed to control it, right? And and then yes. same thing, people are like, oh, I've got back pain, so I'm really controlling. It's like, okay, but that's counterintuitive, not only to the movement, but actually you're putting your back under a greater level of stress mm-hmm. because you've got this weight projected out in front of you for a longer period of time under a greater level of actual force through those points where you know, your back is probably at a greater level of risk, Um, you know, instead of taking it, you know, catching that, that absorbing that weight and that, um, you know, the, the, the impact of the bell going down in the deeper portion of the swing back, you know, you're trying to control that. Yes. Granted a, a slower and a probably lower force, but over a huge way longer moment and, Mm-hmm. increases that stress yes and and yeah the moment that you said you know the whole contract relax thing my obviously my head went immediately to kettlebells but yeah i would definitely say that and i've thought about this briefly before but if there's one thing that kettlebells has really entrained me to do really well it's just really entraining that that uh, tension relaxation tension relaxation sort of thing and just being able to stay looser for a greater amount of time as I'm doing any sort of given activity. And it's it's really almost a practice of doing that whole uh, bullet time matrix thing where everything just kind of slows down and you're able to assess your environment a lot better because you're not just sort of like that um, hyperactive dog that's like, squirrel, 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 yet everything just like slows down. You're able to assess yeah. your situation a lot better. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I, I agree. I mean, I would say, you know, I have a bit of a tendency to be that, that ADHD under in a training session. And, but with that, it's, it's almost like that, that's just outside things that are going on because I've done so much of this. Um, you know, it's, you know, my first competition was December or November, 2010. Right. So, um, it's been a long road and you get some of those, uh, that, that, those aspects ingrained. And I, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I think for me, it, it also has like taught me to be able to learn how to just like 
turn that conscious brain off, which is the big part of being able to find that tension relaxation is not having that conscious um, thought process of, okay, I need to flex now and now I need to release. It's like, no, you just do it. It becomes this automatic action. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, you know, you can see when a person's, I mean, that's why we're also good at sprints and not so good at grinds, right? Because in a sprint, you just shut your brain off and you just do the thing for 30 seconds or a minute. You just run you that know, code and, and go. Yeah. And I mean, if, you know, if you've got it nicely ingrained, those are oftentimes, you know, the best sets, right? Yeah. They, they're like, what? It's like, whoa, that felt, you know, yesterday I was training and I did, I did this set of 10 reps with the 32s. And that felt so much easier. It felt so good compared to the set that I had done before that was like six reps. But it's just because in the one where I did six reps, it was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm working my way through. And whereas with the one at 10, it's like, I'm just bang, just go, go, go. It wasn't a sprint, um, but it was also, you know, and of course it's well above my capacity, but it's just, I wasn't consciously going through the positions. It was just mechanically hit, reset, go, hit, reset, go. And so those are the things I think that's where I, you know, those are some of the things that I would have definitely benefited from and where, you know, you kind of learn how to deal with different levels of stress and handle different movements and just be able to turn your brain off and just work. So now we're sort of talking about the tunnel or the zone or whatever people sort of call that, where you get into that optimal level of both uh, arousal and um, confidence, I guess. Um, I forget what word they usually use. But um, what would you say for you, what do you require to hit that optimal level of arousal where it's just enough stress but not too much where you're in that zone and you're able to kind of just really enjoy the ride and specifically with kettlebells or specifically with like a particular lift what needs to be what needs to be there in terms of speed in terms of the bell like (laughs) do you mind i'm trying to run a podcast here yeah i mean i think for myself like it's i i always like that that a little bit of that feeling I like to have a bit of a, a, a nervous energy for one. Um, I don't, uh, it's just for whatever reason, those are when I feel the, the best in terms of my lifts, just enough of that nervous anxiety, um, a little bit of ex- of excitement kind of a thing. Yeah. But, you know, it's always that excitement where I always say, it's like the thing about kettlebells. That's one thing always, I noticed about um, you, Charlie, is, is that look of excitement on your face all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, but, you know, it's always, it's always that like level of nerves because it's not nervous because you're worried about whether or not you're going to survive or you're worried about, am I going to hit this PR number? It's the nerves of, of like knowing what you're going to go through in the next 10 minutes, because <laughs> Everybody who's done a 10 minute set, especially if you've done enough of them where you just know, okay, at five minutes, this is what's going to start feeling, you know, and at seven minutes, this is what's going to start. And it's like, 
you just know and you hope in the back of your mind or there's a small part of you in the back of your mind that says don't let that don't let those feelings overcome you know what you've kind of what you're willing to do physically in terms of that so don't let that discomfort in your feet and so there's always that little bit of like i'm not, who's going to win this battle is it going to be the discomfort or is it going to be me and so if there's always that maybe a little bit of nerve and but i also like that because it, it reminds me and it tells me I, I find those little things i become very obsessive in terms of where where do i feel stretch you know when i'm in the rack what should i feel why well, should personally i'm looking for a few cues i'm looking for a stretch through my traps i'm looking for a tensiony stretch feeling in my hip flexors you know, it's, it's things like that. It's trying to tuck the chin and it's all these sorts of goofy things that are just my little cues that remind me to get into the position that I need to, to be able to be, you know, have the best pattern coming out of the jerk. So mm -hmm. it's all about just that, that feeling of, of being like under just enough stress to be able to perform the lift at, at not so much stress that, you know, you're getting drugged around by the weights, um, not so much stress that your, you know, your, your muscles are feeling, you know, just slow and, and drag drugged down by. And so that's where, you know, some of the different things that I'm working on with my technique stuff um, are, are coming in and it's just trying to find that point where I can move with the, highest level of you know pop in the jerk and with the most level of counter kind of action in the clean and trying to shut my brain off in between and of course um you know none of this is by chance i i would have to um posit that by and large if you're feeling those those negative feelings or those feelings like you're sloppy or you're not hitting your positions or things aren't going well there was usually something that happened before you even got up on that platform or or to uh, rephrase things that didn't happen before you got up on that platform that are causing that. So you didn't put in yeah. a good training block, um, you, you mm -hmm. didn't get a good night's sleep or uh, you haven't been watching your hydration or nutrition, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah. I, you know, as I like to say, a, a pinch of prevention is worth a pound of uh, cure sort of thing. So, or in this case, performance. Oh, sure. So... Yeah. Um, and, uh, coming back around to that, that little, uh, sort of itch of excitement. Um, and I'm sure that you felt this, but it, this is a really tough dragon to chase. And it's that when you have that really good training block and you're training towards maybe a pace that you've never really done before and you're, and you do sort of have a personal goal in mind, or maybe it's worlds and you're like, okay, this is going to be the best set I've ever done. And you get up there and you know that you've had the best training block that you've ever had. And you're, and you're not sure what you're going to put out, but you know, it's going to be good. That sort of excitement. Have you felt that before? Don't be modest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had it in different sets. Um, I would say the last, I mean, you know, biathlon has been a struggle for me for the last while. Um, and that's been one where personally, I wish I could say, um, 
I wish I could say more, but yeah, I've had sets like say when I competed in, uh, in Victoria, 2014 Victoria, that was, uh, that was a set where I knew and it was just, it felt great. That, um, yeah. I remember that, that was, as I recall, one of your best sets or, yeah, or maybe your best that set. was, yeah, that was my best jerk set with, uh, you know, with 32s, um, I mean, it was my best snap set too, but you know, I think the problem with that, it was one of those things where once I did that jerk set, I probably didn't do as much as I should have to prepare for the snap set because I was like riding that sort of euphoric wave of, Hey, I just did exactly what I wanted. And actually not only did I do it, I didn't have to get into that like real junk. It was like, not only was it my best set, it was also like the best feeling 10 minute set I've ever had with 32s. So it was, it was a bit of that. And I probably didn't prepare as well as I should have for the snap set, which to be honest, I almost never do. But um, like in terms of, I never, I mean, I almost never warm up for snatches. Mm -hmm. um, so I probably should have, but you know, I was riding that sort of that high of hitting that number, but you know, so yeah. And I mean, um, you know, some, I, you know, I've had some, some decent sets with the 32s where I, it's, I, I don't know that I've ever felt super fantastic about what I was about to do. I mean, I felt good. Um, and I've had some good sets. I'm not trying to say that, but you know, with the 32s, say in long cycle, um, I felt I've had some really good feelings going up for a lift, say with the 24s. Um, definitely, you know, and, knew that, okay, I'm going to do somewhere between a hundred and, you know, 105 and 115 reps today. And, uh, and that's a nice feeling and you go out and you do it and you put them down and you walk off the platform and you go, and you're not, exactly and you're not like I breathing heavy or just like, you just dust off your hands and like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it just feels good. You had that, right. Everything led up to that and everything came together. Of course, I've had other sets where it's like, I've stepped on the platform going, I'm going to hit my goal here is 65. And, you know, everything comes apart. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I've had those sets too. And, it, you know, and I've had those sets in relatively big, you know, moments. And, uh, that's less than inspired. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I mean, but I think those, I think that would be probably a level of honesty with ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh man, I'm going to go for 65 here. I'm going to crush this. And then, you know, you walk off the platform and you go, you know, I think I had an illusion within my <laughs> training um, because I had, you know, maybe some sets here and there. And, you know, maybe we kind of build ourselves up on some, on shorter sets and lots of volume that we then in our own heads extrapolate to, well, I did this and well, that should come out to this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as we all know that that's not really how that plays out more often than not. Yeah. And what you do in training, of course, won't necessarily correlate uh, as long as there's always all of the other life factors that are coming into play. We can't just bank oh, yeah. on 
what we're doing in that single hour per day sort of thing or whatever mm. the case may be. Um, yeah. coming back around to, uh, the whole warming up for a snatch. Um, yeah, when I'm, uh, it, if, if I'm not like, if I haven't taken a bunch of months off or anything, I feel I generally with the 24, I just go up there. Um, but when I started doing, uh, some more competition sets with the 28, I remember in Ev, uh, Everett or uh, Seattle, um, at the Northwest, uh, I went mm, to go yeah. grab a coffee or something and I came back and it's like, oh, I'm up on the next flight. <laughs> and oh, yeah. so I had no chance to like even warm up to the 28 because I mean, g- generally speaking, you know, that whatever you're doing, that the, the more demand, the heavier the weight is generally the, the more potential warm up you'll need. If it's lighter, obviously you don't, you're not necessarily going to need any warm up if it's light enough, but, um, but my norm at that time, and I hadn't done a lot of 28 kg snatch sets, but my norm at the time was in between like that 135 to 140 range with the 28. And I went up there and I think I pulled out like 124. So in terms of, and normally I, I had historically at that point always warmed up before doing my 28 kg snatch and wasn't like rushed or anything. So in terms of like a reduction in reps, wasn't really that much. I mean, certainly that's enough to take you off the podium, but um, yeah, not I, I wasn't disappointed with it at all. So yeah, I think yeah, I know for myself. I mean, as you said, you know, with twenty, but I can look, I can look at the weight, and I mean, you would you would say, and anybody who's who's done, you know, as you go up in weight, it's not. You know, especially with the lift like snatches, it's not really, it's not nearly as much of a a cardiovascular issue, right? Like, like doing doing twenty reps a minute on the twenty four, yeah, it, it'll get your heart rate going, right? Because you're never like you're always kind of moving. Mm-hmm. Doing, uh, you know, whatever thirteen to fifteen reps a minute on the twenty eight. Yeah, that'll get your heart rate going. But depending on, it might not get it up as high as maybe the 24 because you're you're sitting overhead longer. Um, you know, so you're not you're not moving as constantly. So you get a bit more of that breath cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, with the 32s, you know, maybe you're doing 10 to 12 minutes, I you know, 10 minutes, sorry, 10 to 12 minutes, 10 to 12 RPM. Um, you know. Now that has its own flipping, you know, that has its own stress, right? Like, um, personally at the end of a 24 set, if it's 20, you know, 200 to 230 reps, um, I feel other than my hand feeling like it's, you know, a vice grip and maybe skin, you know, deciding to give way just because of the, the friction and, and that, that pacing, um, you feel pretty good, right? You yeah. feel maybe out of breath, but it's, you don't feel. It's like going off, for, for off. like a, a run at, at like your good pace. And then yeah. you come and then you come back and you're like, Oh, that was a good run, but it's not like I'm wiped. Yeah. Whereas like with 28, tw- the 28 is now heavy enough for me and not having particularly flexible shoulders and not having a really great uh, overhead position. Um, it's stressful um, to hold that bell overhead, you know? So uh, if I'm doing, 
you know, the best sets are the ones where I'm going like when I was training hard and I was going upwards of 20 RPM, those were the sets that felt the best with the 28 mm -hmm. because I'm spending the least amount of time overhead. You know, you, I couldn't have said it better because that was something that I figured out early on too, was that I get my best sets when I'm going 20 RPM. If yeah. I go slower, it's just, I do not have the, like the terminal elbow extension or shoulder mobility no. to really hang there. No, that's the same. Like the only time I've ever done a full 10 minute set was the 32 in snatches. I think I did like 110 reps because I had to just survive, you know, and it was like move my hips out of the way in any way possible to be able to hold the bell overhead. Um, like my best set with 32s, I think took, was about nine minutes and 10 seconds. And that was me going faster than, you know, probably a pace. Now I get that it's only another, you know, basically a minute, but you know, that minute at the end is the hardest minute, you know, unfortunately we don't ever get to add the minute at the beginning of the set. It's always at the end of the set, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the thing, right? That's the hardest part about it. Um, but yeah, like with 32s, I definitely, and with 28s personally, it's more of just a feeling. So it's getting opened up overhead. That's where I will feel like, okay, uh, the warm up is, has a place. Not because I need necessarily a cardiovascular warm up. Um, it's more of just to, uh, for me, honestly, before snatches, it's am I hydrated? Do I have energy? You know, especially if it's after a jerk set, you know, and then beyond that, like those are the worst sets that I've had are because I was dehydrated because I didn't have like, you know, fuel after a long day. Yeah. At the Olympia, that was the big one. Oh, really? Yeah. I bombed, like, totally just bombed out I, at the end of in my set. Yeah. Oh, I have those pictures. You sitting in the corner there just, like, sweating your ass off. Yeah. Like, oh. Um. <laughs> but uh, you, didn't you do that head-to-head uh, that -head with some sort of Russian guy with, like, you, you were lifting those, were you lifting white bells? No. Um... You mean at the Olympia? Yeah, the Olympia. No, see that was that was a trick, and I and I made sure that that got, that that came out because what those were were improperly painted bells, and those were twenty eight. Suspect. Yeah, so they were twenty eight, <laughs> even though like the because they didn't yeah, get the these bells, feel so amazing. They had to like they just had people bringing in bells, right? And they yeah. were actually yeah they yeah. were twenty eight. They but they were painted white for those there was just one club in California that had all their kettlebells painted green. And so they oh. were just, yeah, it didn't matter what weight they were all green. And then, and then they were, then I think they like had a bunch that were painted white, some other clubs. So yeah, they were, those are 28s. And that was actually just another American guy. Um, I mean, there was, yeah, I think it was, I don't think there was anybody else in that one. Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, was this 2014 as well? Uh, that was 2014, yeah. Yeah, 2014 sure. at the yeah. Olympia Expo, Olympia, the bodybuilding competition, um, the AKA held a, what was the, what sort of event was it? 
Well, they did World it, Cup it, it or something. Like a, yeah, it was World part of the Grand Prix or, or something they like that. Grand Prix, yes, yeah, yeah. And there had been some sort of hiccup with sourcing their bells, or they had bells that didn't. I don't know what happened, Maybe. but they had to uh, call around to local clubs and see if they could borrow bells. Yeah. So, and that was very last minute. Oh yeah, and I mean, keeping in mind that that was now they weren't big teams, but that was there was there a was, good amount of Ukrainian. There were Ukrainians. Well, there was there was the Ukrainian team, there was the Russian team, and there was the Kazakh team. Yeah, Kazakh team from Kazakhstan. And I mean, again, they were relatively small teams, but there was. And then there was know, also there were, all the Ice Chamber girls were there. Oh yeah, for sure. Like yeah, definitely. Like there were there were a good number of of competitors yeah so yeah it definitely led to <laughs> there was a, a bit of uh stress <laughs> yeah stress and shortage and whatnot there was like six bells in the warm-up area and <laughs> um one more thing before we go here just because i have another appointment at 10 is um just on the topic of of uh, we're kind of talking about platform performance um how much does uh, it factor into your performance, the other people who are on the platform with you. So I know that for me, if there's someone who is kind of at my level, who in in terms of like, you know, not if I'm up there with 24s, you know, not someone who's up, up there with 16s or something. Although, uh, well, let me rephrase. Um, so like Carissa, for example, if she's up there, I know she's kind of like top dog for her uh, demographic. And so if she's up there with me, that really pushes me because I see someone pushing themselves sort of thing. Um, so it doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with the weights. Um, but how much does it factor into your mm, get up and go when you're on the platform? You know, who else is on the platform with you? Because I know that you've lifted alongside Dennis before and some other guys, but sometimes you go to a competition and like, you're the only guy up there with 32s. Mm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say the only time it really gets me is when I'm not as mentally prepared. Um, in most in most circumstances, I personally don't. I don't. I zone out everything. I don't really follow. Now that that's probably to the detriment. I mean, I know that there's been competitions where, you know, I in Ireland. I mean. In Ireland, I felt pretty good, and I just grooved my way through a set and finished, like, whatever, four reps or something off of the platform, or off of the podium, I should say, right? Um, and maybe if I was a little bit more uh, aware and had thought to turn my head and have a look, mm -hmm. um, maybe that would have given me a little bit more, okay, let's see what we can do here. Yeah. Um, but I guess at but the very at the least... Time, I guess at the very least, what you're saying is that generally, you feel you feel like you'll probably do like your expectations. But if maybe there's cause to sort of do a little bit more than that, if the situation is right, if there's you know if the right um, incentive is there, then you can go a little bit above your hundred percent sort of thing. That would be yeah. But at the same time, there's probably other times where the fact that I am very single-minded when I'm up on the platform, for the most part, that there's other times where I don't get caught up in the stress of everything else that's going around, and I just keep doing my thing. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, I know that there are sets where you might 
get taken by, you know, a loud cheering crowd. And that might push you over a threshold, you know, because stress is good. Uh, a bit of adrenaline is good, but that's also a good way to, you know, start pulling too hard to start over, you know, over gripping on your cleans or on your snatches. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there are, there are sets where I know that I have just like stoically gone away and, you know, not in, these are in like the high level in North America events, but not, you know, these performances wouldn't be like first place overall in, in international, but in high level in North America, there are sets where I know that I just stoically ground out and beat everybody else. Um, just because, you know, I didn't get caught up with, you know, the excitement of the crowd where I might, if I were to get caught up with that, you know, like I said, you start pulling a little too hard and that's all it is. I mean, it's definitely not necessarily one of those sports where you can just go for it. Like there's a certain degree of got to get within yourself and really tune into just those little, those little feedback signals, like the little bit of stretch or pressure in your fingers as you're holding the bell. Like if you just go full tilt, like you can't really tune into those, that feedback loop. No, especially early, right? Like if you, if you're going, if you're, if you start pushing outside of that, what your, what your body is used to, um, before probably seven minutes, you probably won't last, you know? And that's the thing, like, that's, that's my biggest thing is it's all about finding those, those points in the first five, six minutes. And then if I'm feeling really good, then it's like, okay, these last two minutes, I'll open up, you know, but if you try to do anything where you're like, Oh, I feel fantastic in the first couple of minutes, then it's like, that's probably gonna, you know, those three reps that you gained in the first two minutes might be you putting the bells down a minute early Mm -hmm. might be you, you know, having to survive at the end because you were rushing and all those things. So, you know, I, I try to, it's all, you know, honestly, as much as possible when I am trained, um, it's all just, you just go through, trust the process, hold the pace. And then, you know, if you've got it, then you maybe sprint it out at the end kind of thing. But, you know, you just don't get ahead of, don't get ahead of yourself. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that was a great little chit chat. covered a lot of ground there. We talked a little bit of, uh, a little bit of what's going on uh, in our lives, a little bit of kinesiology stuff, a little bit of kettlebells. So, yeah, that was a, it was a good time had by all. Yeah, um, you got it. Anyways, I'm going to try and get this guy. I don't have to do much editing here, but I'll try and get this posted ASAP. Um, and I'm trying to get back to the swing of posting some more um, content because I've been really dragging ass on that stuff. But... Um, it'd be nice to do this again in the not too distant future, uh, if you're up for it. And I'll try to give you, um, as much notice as you need before we do that. Not like, not like, not like this one. Yeah. Okay.